Well, this summer, um, our family took a road trip to Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, my wife is from there, so we uh, hung out with some family. We took the kids around town. They loved it. They were so excited to see an ice cream place that we used to frequent and all the things that kids complain about when you go on vacation with them. And, uh, but part of the trip that we had planned was a scheduled trip over to Lexington, Kentucky as well, um, because horses and um, University of Kentucky, my son wanted a picture in front of the Rupp Arena, whatever that is. And um, <laughs> so we did that as well. We had some friends, but our route to Lexington included a half day in Cincinnati, Ohio. If you're not familiar with that part of the the country. It's like a triangle, little tri-city area. So Mickey and I wanted to go up there for uh, some of the day uh, because Mickey and I went to undergrad school in that city. Uh, so we met some old friends for lunch while we were there, uh, went and saw the Red Stadium, uh, bought a hat, which is kind of worthless, and uh, took some pictures, the usual. And then we loaded the car up and told the kids, okay, kids, uh, we're going to go up onto Price Hill. Cincinnati is sur- surrounded by seven hills. One of them is called Price Hill, the Staten Island of uh, Cincinnati. That's a joke that doesn't land in here, I get it, but um, <laughs> just trust me, everything in Price Hill is broken. Um, so we're going to take them up to Price Hill, and we were going to show them where Mickey and I went to college together. They were really excited. Back then, it was called Cincinnati Bible College and Seminary, and the other day, I found my wife's student ID card. Check this out. So, there it is. Got it? Yeah. (laughs) Can you just feel the, uh, if you know Mickey, can you just feel the, in that picture, like the the Gen X, like, angst? (laughs) Like, this is pure 1992, 93, like, sure, take the picture, whatever, you know? (laughs) the Daria glasses, it's all in there. Uh, Regrettably, uh, that school closed a few years ago after some financial struggles. A lot of small schools have gone through that. But I had heard that another school had bought it, so I was excited to see uh, what they were doing with it. And as we drove on campus, um, it looked like the place had been bombed. Um, Buildings were missing. Some were being torn down at that very moment. There was no glass in the windows that the building, in the buildings that were even left. And there was caution tape everywhere. Now the campus roads were still intact, so we, we drove around. Uh, so we were able to still kind of get around campus. And in the back seat, my daughter, who's 11, says, is this where y'all went to college? Followed by, this is pretty lame, Dad. <laughs> if anyone wants to babysit, let me know. Let me know. She's great. But we drove out of there with a little bit of a sadness over the whole thing because it was a, another reminder as we get older that there are things in life, things that are important to us, things that mattered to us, things that were even formative, special, to us in our past, things that felt stable, like they would never go away, it was a reminder that even those things can blow away, you know? And what I know and what you know is that one of the things in our life that can go away, that can break, that can fall apart, 
is our faith. I would say the longer we're in this thing, the more often we stand face to face with this hard truth that faith is not always stable. Amen? Faith can get injured. It can stammer around for decades. It can implode. It can break in half. I've seen it happen as a pastor. Um, And I've experienced it myself as a Christian, not once, but many times. Lord knows how many sermons I've given under the stress of a broken faith. Who knows? Not today. I'm okay today. (laughs) But surely you have sat through times where I'm just reading the words on the page. At some point, everyone's faith takes a hit. And if there's one thing that's always been a lift for me when I'm in those spaces of doubt and uncertainty and even like spiritual injury is that the Bible sits there not as this collection of like daily tips, fake positivity, but as this collection of inspired writings given to us by a people who were no strangers to oppression and hardship and uncertainty. They say that history is written by the winners. That may be true, but the Bible is the work of losers. It is the product of a suffering people who struggled very often to hang on to any thread of faith and hope and even sometimes a belief in the very presence of God in their life. It's all in there. You can read it for yourself. I recommend it. And when I'm in those spaces of doubt and uncertainty, I like to be around people who understand that. I like to be around people who understand what I'm going through. And I also like to find the stories and the passages of Scripture that speak a very familiar-sounding word to me. And the reading from Lamentations that Tana just read for us may just be the one that everybody needs to hear today, but maybe in the days to come as you go through the cycle of faith that includes dislocation and injury. I mean, these first words, how lonely sits the city that once was full of people, how like a widow she has become, that she was great among the nations. She that was a princess among the provinces has become subject to forced labor. These are the joyous words that begin the book of Lamentations. Some background. Lamentations is a book of five poems written by a survivor of the invasion of Jerusalem from Babylon in 587 BC. It wasn't an out of the blue invasion. Jerusalem had already had a long standing and kind of irritating relationship with Babylon. There had been tremors along the way. It's like that line from The Sun Also Rises uh, where Hemingway says, How did you go bankrupt? And the response is two ways, gradually and then suddenly, you see. But in 587 BC, the curtain fell on the people of Judah. The city was almost beyond recognition. It had been disfigured, torn apart. It's terrible. The temple which stood in the city since the days of Solomon was also in ruins, There are books of the Old Testament about the rebuilding of that thing. And most of the survivors were taken away to live 
as exiles, key word in the Bible, both in the Old and New Testament. It seems to be a theme, but taken away to live as exiles in various Babylonian cities. And since no one at that time was taking pictures as they were marched off, everything about Jerusalem would live only in their memories and through their shared stories with one another. I imagine the exiles turning their heads to get one last look at the place that they called home. One last look at the place where they grew up, where they played as kids, where they fell in love, where they danced at the festivals each year, where they learned to love and worship the Lord. I imagine it was a bit of an undoing to look back and to see nothing but destruction and ruins and chaos and loss. The title of the book says it all, by the way. Lament is in the title. This is very difficult stuff, distress and pain. In verse 3, the poet writes, Judah has gone into exile with suffering and hard servitude. She lives now among the nations and finds no resting place. Her pursuers have all overtaken her in the midst of her distress. This is the blues. That's what this is. These are the songs of Israel that give voice to both national and spiritual trauma that these people endured. And when we read them, we can hear the cries of a people in crisis, not just a civic crisis, but a spiritual crisis too. Our reading doesn't include much of these type things, but if you keep reading in Lamentations, what you get is a lot of pushback from the poet to God. Frustration, anger, And for the people of Judah, the city of Jerusalem, and more importantly, the temple that was there, these were the places of communal and spiritual balance, equilibrium, stasis. The rhythm of daily life and worship was all there, this stabilized system of life and faith. It may seem silly to us, but one of the most pressing issues for these people at that time Uh, who were living in exile, was the question of how do we now even worship away from the temple? There's some historical evidence that the synagogue develops in the exile as a way to figure out how to now worship away from the presence of the physical temple. How do we even do that? Another way that you could hear the question is that they're saying, now that that is gone, how do we hold on to the personal and collective faith that we were once used to? Or is it possible to find God again when everything that was so central to my faith and practice is now just a memory? If you've gone through some faith deconstruction or are currently going through that, uh, just as a word to the wise, you're kind of always going through that. Um, these questions might sound familiar to you. In other words, when the thing that used to be the source of your faith ends up falling apart, then you're forced to figure out how to rebuild and how to reimagine that relationship. You're even confronted with this nagging sense that maybe it's not even worth it, you know? Maybe it's not worth it anymore. And I find comfort in knowing that There are those who have gone before us that have asked the same questions, that have gone over the same scenarios of either staying engaged 
and fighting for their faith and fighting for what's left behind or just walking away from it altogether. I find comfort in knowing that even in our own scriptures, we find these same sentiments. And the most reassuring thing to me about Lamentations is the rant from the writers and from so many other similar sayings in the Bible. Uh, And what I find in this is that God seems to be okay with that. I mean, so much of the Bible is complaint. And God is not put off by our frustrations or angst that get directed at him. And that's an encouraging thing to me. I mean, the word Israel, by the way, means to fight with God. The frustration is baked right in. See? That this is a wrestling match that we all have to go through. And so what have been the breaking points in your faith? I think that's a good question as we begin this journey this month. What have been those experiences that have left you angry, confused? See, faith doesn't really break on its own. It always has help, see? Something happens to us or around us or to the people we love, and that's when shifts and cracks develop. Maybe you've always been a person of doubt and skepticism. That's just kind of who you are. And the uh, Jonah and the whale flannel graph coloring sheet story didn't always pass the test for you, even as a seven-year-old, see? Even as a kid, you may have sat in Sunday school and silently wondered, is that, uh, is that real? Have I told you the story about my daughter in the temple? Have I told you the story? Okay, don't tell her I'm telling you the story. Uh, I'm the pastor here, and so our kids, our kids are therefore pastor kids, and we all know the stereotypes. Uh, and we've, we decided early on with our first son, and then with her as well, obviously we go to church, but we'll let them do what they do. We're not gonna hound them, but we do ask Sometimes on Sundays, like, what'd you guys talk about uh, in class? I already know. I work here. Um, <laughs> but months ago, uh, I guess they were learning about the temple. And um, she's 11, by the way. So uh, I, I asked her at lunch, what'd you guys learn about? Uh, something about the temple. <laughs> and I said, oh. So she kept talking, and I, you can just Google temple, Jerusalem temple. And I pull up a photo of the Western Wall that's still there. uh, And I hold it up and I was like, there it is. And she says, wait, it's a real place? (laughs) And I just looked at Mickey like, okay. (laughs) But I sense that she might be that person. Is that real? Is that really happening? Maybe you're that kind of person and things like doubt and skepticism are just part of your faith process and you can go in and out of confidence and all of that. It's very normal. Or maybe you grew up in a church that really wasn't that healthy and a church that was not really comfortable with brokenness or things like grace and mercy. I find that for some people, as being a pastor all these decades, I I find that for some people, grace and mercy are actually very offensive ideas. And it's all because of several things, but one of them is they just didn't grow up in a place that appreciated those things. And your experience was one of fear 
and shame and judgment over something you did or who you are. And you felt very unsafe. Several years ago, and maybe I've shared this story, I don't know, um, but several years ago, for the first time, I heard the phrase toxic church. I had never even heard of that. And the reason is, I didn't grow up in a church like that. I mean, our youth pastor played Elton John tapes in the church van. I didn't grow up in a place, this was not a word in my vocabulary. It was okay to be a mess in my youth group. And so I didn't know anything about toxicity in a church environment. I'm sure I knew it existed, but I didn't know that that was like a thing. And then it was you, it was people here that would tell me about their experiences with so much of the pain and the shame and the just castigation that they went through in their youth groups. And I'm just like, I had no idea. And I'm grateful to those of you who opened my eyes to that. And so often my heart breaks for you. But maybe you grew up in a place like that. And that has made faith very difficult for you. Or maybe you're just familiar with suffering. I feel like there are just people in the world that are just surrounded by sickness and death and loss. You have friends like this. That person is always surrounded by loss. But I'm sure that you're in the room too. These are all potential breaking points in our faith. But I want to say this as we begin to close this portion of our service. Is I want to just remind you of how safe it is for you here. If that's you. And let me tell you a little bit why it's that way. Uh, I would say just weeks before I left for undergrad to go study the Bible in college, uh, I was at church camp, and um, I was in a long stretch of doubt and skepticism. And I think there was added stress to that because I was like, I'm about to go spend a lot of money on a private college to learn about the Bible. I don't even know if I want to use that in my life, you know. And so I set a meeting with the youth pastor, which meant, hey, can I talk to you real quick? (laughs) That's how pastors end up in meetings. Hey, real quick, come here, real quick. Okay. Just real quick. Let me just dump everything on you, just real quick. (laughs) Right out here by the tent. So it was after one of the evening programs. I said, can I talk to you real fast? He's like, sure. And we went outside and I said to him that evening, I said, hey, here's the thing. I don't really know. He's like, what do you mean? I don't really know if any of this is real. You see, that's a risky thing to say. You know, I've never been couth, so it wasn't hard for me to say it. It's just a risk. (laughs) And he didn't say anything for just a few seconds. And I'm waiting. And his response was, Yep. And for me, those few seconds between what I said and what he said, when I look back, those were the on-deck moment for whether this thing was going to keep going or not. And I look back on that night as a pivotal moment, not just in my faith, but how I would end up doing my work as a pastor. That's why 
when some of you say things to me about what you think about this or that and the Bible and faith, oftentimes I just say, yeah. And I know for some of you that's really frustrating. <laughs> when someone tells me something they're thinking about this thing or that and I don't fix it. Or I don't like, oh, let me tell you what I learned in seminary, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> you know, nobody cares. But just, yeah, I get it. I get the whatever it is, you're, I get it. Been there. And that wasn't the last time I went through that, you see. But it was the most important time. Because a person who had um, positive authority over me in my spiritual development did not say, maybe you shouldn't be here, you know? Or maybe you need to uh, trust God more. I can't tell you how many hospital rooms I've been in and someone's dying and there's always a family member who's like, they have the largest Bible and with all the bulletins hanging out of it and they are just berating everyone for not having enough faith. And I'm always like, they're 98. Like, <laughs> you know, gradually, then suddenly. See? <laughs> so let me close by saying a couple things here. Largely, these next few Sundays for us uh, are not a creative thing in terms of sermon writing or worship planning. I would say these next few Sundays are just very pastoral. I want to stand up here not as a solver of those things for you, but as a fellow sojourner with you. Amen? And as we have said so many times through the years in this place, I want to say it again, that this will always remain a safe place for you to tear it all down, to reimagine it, to just watch it, to criticize it, whatever you need to do. Because the love of God the love that God has for us is not determined by how stable we are in what we do or do not believe at the moment. The Bible is very clear on this, that there is, to quote the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8, there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Amen? It doesn't matter what you're going through. It doesn't dictate whether God loves you. You need to hear that. It doesn't matter. Whether you believe it or don't or somewhere in the middle, the love remains always. And each week we want to close with the same encouraging words from Jesus, speaking to a very frustrated and tired people. And I'll close with these. Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 and 29, come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you what? Rest. Not a pamphlet, not a book to read, not a podcast rest. Take my yoke upon you, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Amen.